1: Com. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Bob Levy. He's a constitutional scholar and chairman of the Cato Institute. We'll continue our discussion about the basics of libertarian philosophy and thought. We'll visit with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. We'll be talking about some of the think, uh, cultural events or thoughts that are leading up to some of the political outcomes that we're seeing. And we'll visit with Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston, in space architecture and author of several books. Uh, his latest, How Everything Happened, Including Us. I just finished the book. It is absolutely uh, terrific. It is September the 16th, and on this day in 1620, the Mayflower set sail from Plymouth, England, bound for the New World with 102 passengers. The ship was headed for Virginia, where the colonists' half-religious dissenters and half-entrepreneurs had been authorized to settle by the British Crown. However, stormy weather and navigational errors forced the Mayflower off course, and on November the 21st the Pilgrims reached Massachusetts where they founded the first permanent European settlement in New England in late December. 35 of the Pilgrims were members of the radical English Separatist Church who traveled to America to escape the jurisdiction of the Church of England, which they found corrupt. Ten years earlier, English persecution had led a group of separatists to flee to Holland in search of religious freedom. However, many were dissatisfied with the economic opportunities in the Netherlands and under the direction of William Bradford. They decided to immigrate to Virginia, where the English colony had been founded in Jamestown in 1607. The separatists won financial backing from a group of investors called the London Adventurers who were promised a sizable share of the colony's profits. Three dozen church members made their way back to England uh, where they joined about 70 entrepreneurs enlisted by a London stock company to ensure the success of the enterprise. In August 1620, the Mayflower left Southampton with a smaller vessel, the Speedwell, but the latter proved unseaworthy and was twice forced to return to port. On September the sixteenth, the Mayflower left for America alone from Plymouth. In a difficult Atlantic crossing, the 90-foot Mayflower encountered rough seas, and the storms were blown more than 500 miles off course. Along the way, the settlers formulated and signed the Mayflower Compact an agreement that bound the signatories into a civic body politic uh, because uh, it established constitutional law and the law of majority, the rule of majority, the compact is regarded as an important precursor to American democracy. By the way, this compact required uh, everything to be done for the common good. and uh, that didn't work out so well. After a six-day voyage, the ship landed on November the 21st on the tip of Cape Cod at what is now Provincetown, Massachusetts. After coming to Anchor in Provincetown, a party of armed men under the command of C- Captain Miles Standish were sent out to explore the area and find a location suitable for settlement. And while they were gone, Susanna White gave birth to a son aboard the Mayflower. He was the first English child born in New England. In mid-December, the explorers were, went ashore at a location across from Cape Cod where they found and cleared uh, fields and plentiful running water and named the site Plymouth. The expedition returned to uh, Provincetown, and on December the 21st, the Mayflower came to an anchor in Plymouth Harbor. Just after Christmas, the Pilgrims began work on dwellings that would shelter them through this difficult first winter. In the first year of settlement, half of the colonists died of disease. In 1621, the health and economic condition of the colonists improved, and that autumn, uh, Governor William Bradford invited neighboring Indians to Plymouth to celebrate uh, the bounty of the year's first harbor. Harvest season. By the way, this was after. This is the point that I wanted to make, and you can find this in William Bradford's uh, on in Plymouth Plantation. Uh, he wrote that uh, they signed a compact to really, as a communist everything be done for the common good and for the common cause, which didn't create a lot of motivation. So he finally divided up parcels of land, gave each of the settlers uh, uh, and colonists a piece of the. Uh, uh, property there, and which led to this bounty that they celebrated with the Indians. By mid-1640s, Plymouth population numbered 3,000 folks, but by the settlement had been overshadowed by a larger Massachusetts Bay Colony in the north, settled by Puritans in 1629. The term pilgrim, by the way, was not used to describe the Plymouth colonists until the early 19th century and was derived from a manuscript in which William Bradford spoke of the saints who left Holland as pilgrims, uh, the order Daniel Webster spoke of the Pilgrim Fathers, and by centennial celebration of Plymouth's founding in 1620 and thereafter, termed uh, entered the common language of pilgrims. It's a tough life for those people when they first got started, and again, they changed over from a communist pact into uh, and everything for the common good to uh, self, uh, individual and unwarranted self-interest, uh, private enterprise. Well, the Florida Department of Health reported 20 new cases of COVID-19 and one additional death in Collier County on Tuesday. Uh, the seven-day average of new cases, in spite of the fact that schools started two weeks ago, is 30 as of September the 14th. Now, this has decreased from 221 in July 13th to uh, what it is today at 30. That's just unbelievable. It's actually decreased uh, from 64 to 30 since school started. Tuesday, there were 32 COVID-19 patients in Cuyahoga County hospitals and plenty of beds. So I'm sure they're looking for new business because it's not being provided by COVID-19 patients. you got a feel for those folks. Hurricane Salary, the slow-moving Category 2 storm, is going to hit the Gulf Coast today. And Residents in some parts of Mississippi, Alabama, and the Florida Panhandle have been told to evacuate. They're predicting historic flooding and winds over 100 miles an hour. Rainfall could uh, total up to 30 inches in some areas. By the way, we got over 8.5 inches here while it was passing through. You can imagine if you were being hit by the storm in the center. It is huge and it is slow, so those people are going to see a lot of rain. Well, the Chinese government intentionally manufactured and released COVID-19 virus that led to mass shutdowns and deaths across the world. This, according to a top virologist and whistleblower, uh, that was on Tucker Carlson last night. I was amazed at the interview. He, Tucker Carlson specifically asked Dr. Li Meng Yang whether she believed the Chinese Communist Party released the virus on purpose. Yes, of course. It's intentionally, she responded. Can you believe that? He was just dumbfounded when he asked the question and heard that response. Yan said more evidence would be released but pointed to her own high-ranking position in the World Health Organization referenced the lab as a reason to trust her allegation. I worked in the WHO reference lab, which is the top coronavirus lab in the world in the University of Hong Kong. And the thing I get deeply into is such investigation is ins- that, by the way, her English was somewhat broken, pretty clear, but very broken. So the words are a little scrambled here. I had my intelligence because I also get my own unit network in China involved in the hospital. And also I work with top coronavirus virologists in the world, she said. So she, she's speaking of her own credibility. This is just shocking. So She's the two big allegations here. Number one, it was produced in a lab, and number two, it was released intentionally. Now, I don't know if she can really understand the intentions of the Chinese Communist Party leaders, uh, but it's a pretty serious claim. Of course, it conflicts with Fauci and what the other uh, folks are saying about this, but nevertheless. Uh, It's a very serious claim, and uh, uh, quite frankly, I hope they look into it very carefully before acting on it. But it is pretty pretty credible because she did have a high-ranking job. I would suggest to her that she (laughs) get uh, some good cover because she is going to be uh, sought out by the communist Chinese, I'm quite certain. Unbelievable. Well, several uh, individuals accused of rioting in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, after the police shooting of Ricardo Munoz, uh, had their bail set at one million dollars? That's right. Each of them, a million dollars. Of the nine who were given the bail amount, none were able to post it. Twelve adults have been charged with criminal conspiracy for arson, riot, institutional vandalism, failure to disperse, objecting highways, uh, obstructing highways, I should say, and other public passages, disorderly conduct, and defiant trespass. They, nine of them, had their bail set at a million bucks one of the 12, faced an additional charge of illegal possession of a firearm. Now, the reason I'm I'm mentioning this story is because, quite frankly, if you're uh, one of the uh, arsonists or you're one of the people who loot, if you're part of Antifa, if you're part of uh, Black Lives Matter, and you see these gals getting charged, not only charged but also a, a million dollars bail each, I think there's going to be discussions among them saying, well, I think we're done in Lancaster. Let's go back to Portland. Uh, I think this is a great idea. I don't know if I'm not a lawyer. I don't know if this uh, is bail amount is appropriate, but it certainly sends a message, and I think an appropriate message to these Black Lives, Matters, uh, Black Lives Matter uh, individuals and uh, Antifa sorts. And then finally, congratulations to President Trump on Tuesday, declaring the dawn of a new Middle East as he presided over the signing of two historic Middle East diplomat deals between Israel and two Gulf nations. It was pretty impressive. I watched the ceremony yesterday, and the president has really pulled off something here for years. How many years? 70 years? Been trying to seek peace in the Middle East. Well, rather than going through Palestinian uh, territory, he's gone through other states surrounding Israel. This, I think, will put immense pressure on the Palestinians to uh, come up and sign a deal as well. Certainly, that would be a great outcome. Congratulations, President Trump. Nobody thought you could pull this off, but you certainly did. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Naples' longest established air conditioning company. And I hope you'll visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Coming up, Bob Levy, constitutional scholar and chairman of the Cato Institute. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: Golf Gulf Shore Playhouse, devoted to creating professional New York-style theater at its very best and at affordable prices, presents a fabulous new season of productions beginning in November with a world premiere of a one-man show written by and starring the talented associate artistic director of Gulf Shore Playhouse, Jeffrey Bender. Pin Up Girls opens in January, singing a cavalcade of hits inspired by real letters from our troops overseas. Inspired by what they find funny, romantic, heartbreaking, and sexy, the ladies put on a show that celebrate the guys and gals who fight to defend our country. Bang Bang opens in March, written by legendary actor of Monty Python fame, John Cleese. You'll surely be wiping away tears of laughter with this one. William Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream opens in March. Meddling parents, impetuous young lovers, and cunning fairies collide in Shakespeare's enchanting classic, Another Revolution by Jacqueline Bircher opens in May. You won't want to miss this timely new work about finding hope in one another through the uncertainty of the world around us. What a terrific season of productions. Tickets for this great new season are available now. Tickets start at only $38. Tickets can be purchased by calling the box office at 866-811-4111 or visiting the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show.
0: Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best, and a great new performing arts venue is being created in downtown Naples. You can find out more by visiting playhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. Bob is a constitutional scholar, as I mentioned. He's also the chairman of the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us.
2: A pleasure to be with you, Bob.
1: Thank you. Tell us about the Cato Institute.
2: We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C., and focused on private property, individual liberty, securing rights, and limited government. www.cato.org, O-R-G on the
1: web. Terrific organization, Cato.org. Bob, I'd like to pick up on our conversation of uh, the basics of libertarian thought and policy and uh, Uh, ideas, and uh, is there an area where the court, now? I'm uh, I'm talking about the Supreme Court or appellate courts, have been especially derelict in protecting individual liberty?
2: I think economic liberties and property rights uh, is the area that really has been accorded second class status because of the court's uh, disengagement on on those issues. Uh, In both areas, the advocates of judicial restraint, you know, the courts staying away from these battles have won over the advocates of uh, political uh, of uh, judicial engagement mm. and as a result uh, there are a couple of essential rights like for example to earn an honest living and to own private property that have been stripped of uh, vital constitutional protections and that leaves um, small property owners and and uh, entrepreneurs um, particularly minorities in the inner city vulnerable to these backroom political deals and uh that uh, it started way back in 1938, you know, so it's not a recent phenomenon. The Supreme Court decided a case called United States versus Caroline Products, and there was a famous, uh, if you went to law school, everybody studied the famous or infamous, apparently footnote four. They created an artificial dichotomy of rights under the Constitution. So some rights, like free speech and free exercise of religion, and et cetera, they were elevated to a preferred status. Hmm. And they received con- vigorous constitutional protection from the courts. But other rights, like these economic rights, property rights, the right to start your own business without um, unwarranted government intrusion, they were demoted to second tier. Uh, and they received far less constitutional protection. And that's now decades-old story.
1: Wow. Well, can you give us an example of economic rights that uh, the courts haven't protected?
2: Yeah, <laughs> actually the protection is you know so feeble that the judges sometimes they just invent justifications for upholding uh, regulations even if it's clear that the justifications had nothing to do with the legislature's uh, decision mm. uh, to pass the laws and maybe even worse some courts even go so far as to concede that the real reason for the regulation was not to protect the public you know for health safety reasons but really to uh, reward some special interest group, and then the court goes ahead and, <clears throat> after acknowledging that, they validate the law mm. uh, anyway. So you know everybody's heard by now of the and we've talked about this kilo versus city in New London, where the court upheld the law of seizing property, private property by eminent domain, and turn the property over to other private parties because it would raise tax revenues. And another you know classic example is this uh, Powers v Harris by the court of appeals that upheld Oklahoma's retail casket cartel Oklahoma law required anybody selling a casket which is basically a box you know to become a government licensed funeral director and that meant uh, years of study uh, during the during which uh, you had to be able to embalm 25 bodies even though the casket retailers never even handle dead bodies and never perform uh funerals and the and the circuit court explained uh, that and this is a quote from the opinion dishing out special economic benefits to certain in-state industries remains the favored pastime of state and local governments and then having said that the court went on to uphold the law on the grounds that uh that this kind of economic protectionism for funeral directors is a legitimate state interest. So, in, a, <clears throat> in effect, we have a federal appeals court giving a green light to the rankest form of cronyism and favoritism and anti-competitive uh, uh, legislation. And, and uh, despite that, the Supreme Court declined to, to review the, the case.
0: Yeah.
2: I should add, by the way, Bob, that uh, Governor DeSantis <clears throat> signed in June of this year Signed the Occupational Freedom and Opportunity Act, uh, and it's the largest licensing deregulation in the state's history
1: and yeah. removes
2: unnecessary barriers in lots of industries from landscaping uh, to cosmetology to barbers and hair braiders. And, uh, you know, according to an Institute for Justice study, Florida was, prior to this law, losing 130,000 jobs uh, valued at uh, almost half a billion dollars. Hmm. Annually, due to these licensing requirements. So DeSantis did a very good thing, and Florida is now um, taking the, the, the correct road toward deregulating some of these occupational licensing
1: requirements. Absolutely. I, and it, well, of course, we still have a long way to go, but we have come a long way, and thank you to Governor DeSantis. Uh, by the way, your comments lead me to <laughs> think about the fact that I actually saw a, a casket for sale in Costco. <laughs> it gave me yeah, the... <laughs> yeah, well... <laughs>
2: It should be, you know. I mean, if you don't want to buy it, don't buy it. (laughs) There's no reason why Costco shouldn't be selling uh, caskets, or for that matter, you could get them online. The fact that you have to be a licensed funeral director is really absurd, and it's just really protectionist legislation.
1: Absolutely. Well, still there's a lot of cronyism going on, unfortunately. So are you saying the court should step in and overturn the legislature when they don't like what the legislature has enacted?
2: Well i'm not I not going that far. I think the libertarian perspective is straightforward. only when the legislature uh, the exec- or the executive branch uh, exceeds their legitimate uh, powers do the courts have the authority? and I think even they have the duty to declare that the act is constitutional uh, <clears throat> unconstitutional. so by by contrast, we have liberals. Who really don't understand that property and contract and free societies go hand in hand? All right, uh, liberals tend to reject this notion that the courts have a role in seriously protecting economic liberty, and that unfortunately, conservatives who ordinarily support property rights and economic liberty, they're still reluctant to have the courts step in and rein in uh, elected legislatures. I think the conservatives are reacting to the Warren error or, or Warren, the Supreme Court uh, when liberal interest groups were able to advance their uh, agendas through the courts. Mm-hmm. But whatever the reasons, a, a lot of conservatives view the judiciary with suspicion. Uh, at times it borders on outright hostility, and that means that the conservatives are rarely willing to appoint activist judges, and that leaves entrenched these regulations that the, that the conservatives um, rail against. Uh, this this distrust in the democratic process that it'll be done by the legislature uh, ignores the realities of uh, government institutions you know we have gerrymandering for one thing and then we have public choice economics and that's the uh, tendency of, of people in power in the legislature to promote their own uh, their own uh, careers that yeah. are, that are set and enforced by these uh, agencies and boards and and commissions and the special interest go on to capture the the regulatory process to keep out the uh, competition. So that the court's role in reviewing the constitutionality of these laws becomes, I think, especially important without uh, the judicial branch uh, recognizing constitutional constraints. Uh, we have these uh, perverse incentives that lead to the expansion of government power and the contraction of, uh, of individual liberty, particularly in the economic area.
1: Yeah, and you know, every uh, study that I've seen indicates that the uh, if you want to know where prosperity starts, it starts with protecting uh, individual rights or property rights and individual rights, property rights especially, uh, with regard to the ability to earn an income and in protecting property. <laughs> and right now, the Democrats are proposing that uh, they'll be able to build uh, Section 8 housing in, in neighborhoods around the United States. My goodness, can you think about what would happen with regard to uh, uh, taking property by governments in order to do that? It would be unbelievable. Yeah, I say, well, that's
2: a concern, particularly if we have one branch, and <clears throat> we have one party taking over um, all, uh, both the legislative and executive branches. That, uh, that's something we need to,
1: <laughs> need to stop. Bob, leave you again the chairman of the Cato Institute. Cato.org is the website, C-A-T-O.org. Bob, genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Good Th- to be with you. you. Thank you, Bob. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Andrew Joppa. Uh, Andy, by the way, is getting an award uh, A really nice award Uh, We'll be talking about that He's a professor as well as author of Josephus of Oz We'll do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show On the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show Here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network Back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and I hope you'll find out more by visiting the website, vfga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell. Right now we have with us Professor Andrew Joppa. Andy's a professor. He's also an author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Andy. So, I mean, w- w- all of our discussions, which I really look forward to, involve our discussion about culture. Uh, not politics, necessarily, but you're getting a g- big award next week. Maybe you can tell us about it.
3: Well, the award is uh, in Naples, as uh, Naples. <clears throat> I'm going to say, leading constitutional conservative. I'm not sure if they would say it that way, but it's, it's an annual award given to the leading uh, constitutional conservative by their uh, by their assessment, and I'm very proud of that. I, I always consider myself a, a constitutionalist. I don't see myself as political. I, I see myself as having uh, all my, my viewpoints to the large extent, certainly, being drawn from the demands of the Constitution. And I, if there's an answer, that is the answer, I think, Bob, to return to the hegemony of the of the Constitution and once again become dominated by this document.
1: Absolutely. Well, congratulations to you and I I have shame on me. I don't have the details here in front of me, but uh I, I you can't subsc- you can go and uh, you can get tickets for this event and, and if you're interested, do you know the web- website, Dandy? I don't have it here in front um,
3: of Um it's September 23rd. It's at 5:30 at the Hilton and it's the uh, Republican Women of uh, Southwest Florida Federated, and you can find the information by going to that site, Republican Women Southwest Florida um, Federated, and um, all the information will be there.
1: Absolutely. So let's talk about some of the things that are happening. And uh, I guess there's a proposed amendment to, to the Constitution about voting. W- what are your thoughts?
3: Well, I was going to ask you the question about that actually, as I mentioned off air. Um, the All Voters Vote Amendment is an amendment to the Florida Constitution, which would allow non-affiliated voters, at least non-affiliated voters, to vote in all of the primaries for the political parties. Now, I, I've never quite understood this uh, crossover type of situation in some cases, or allowing voters who are not members of parties to eventually choose the party's candidate for the general election. It mm-hmm. just seems to be uh, somehow inherently contradictory. So. Uh, it sounds good on the surface, you know, all voters vote, you know, one of those type of names that uh, gives it an appeal. Uh, on the other hand, uh, the political party does not have to use uh, a vote to determine their candidate. They could use a convention or they could have phone calls to their members or as i say facetiously they can do it by having uh, the winner of a arm wrestling contest so there's no legal requirement that is imposed on a party as to how they choose their candidate to make it seem like this is the equivalency of an open general election is uh, i think self-defeating in terms of its intent
1: well the, the it, my understanding is that you can become a candidate let's say for the democrat uh, nomination for uh, let's say, District 19 uh, by filing the necessary paperwork and, and either filing the amount of money or the, uh, getting a petition for people to support you. So pe- people can do that. Now, I would say I'll make the case for, you know, if, in fact, uh, I'm a Republican, I, you know, I would, should I have the right to choose the best Democrat re- uh, candidate that represents my point of view? Uh, even though I still want the Republican to win, I would say, you know, maybe that's a good idea.
3: Well, I mean, it's a good idea in the sense if we're trying to really distort the intent of the political party system. But, That's true. <laughs> uh, you know, I, 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 I think that that is one of the corruptions that may be uh, possible within a all voters vote. In other words, there can be a, a collusion of a sort in which they would organize to have, let's say, the Democrats uh, 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 support. The weakest Republican or the w- Republican that most supports what are generally seen as Democrat positions right so this could lead to a corruption of the intent of the uh, of the primary which is for the party to feel the candidate that most uh, expresses their ideological platform
1: uh, well you know you make a good case absolutely because quite frankly if I were to vote uh, I would probably uh, vote from the Democrat candidate that probably has the least chance of winning <laughs> <laughs> against the well, Republicans, let me just
3: extend this a second. I, you know, let's take the uh, district 19 where um, uh, Byron Donalds emerged with a uh, a slim victory among seven candidates. Uh, we can only imagine if the Democrats and I think that uh, Byron was the the one they were probably most concerned with going to Congress and bringing uh, his strong constitutional background into that
1: body. Right. Uh, I
3: think they would have voted against Byron Donalds.
1: Right, I agree with that, and. Uh, it's the only, the only th- thing is it's a two-way street. It works on both ways. So, uh, but uh, you, uh, you make great points. I mean, I, I don't know why we're doing this. I guess we'll find out more as we... Uh, by the way, you're pointing out something very interesting. This is one of the reasons why I like to vote by mail, and I do it because I wasn't even aware that this was a proposed amendment to the Constitution. So it gives me a chance to research it before I make my vote and uh, even discuss it with my wife, which I enjoy doing. So,
3: speaking of that bob there there's an interesting uh robo that's come through to my phone several times. It theoretically is from President Trump uh advocating that all of his supporters uh use absentee ballots and i I, I find that to be uh, invariance from what I've always understood the president to be advocating, which is a uh, an, an in person vote so I I don't know whether this is a vote that is a uh, call that has been initiated by the Democrats to corrupt the system. Mm -hmm. I I hate to be so cynical, but on the other hand, uh, America has given me every reason for cynicism.
1: Um, I think anybody who's not cynical (laughs) has to to think to That's exactly right. So uh, maybe we should defer this conversation to the next uh, segment. Andy, can you stick around? I'll be here, Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the uh, Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on bobharden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to bobharden at hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-389 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did.
0: the Bob Harden show and now here's your host Bob Harden
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show, hearing that commercial from St. Matthew's House. By the way, terrific organization. Reminds me of Lulabee's Diner, located in the Green Tree Shopping Center. They do a great job, and right now they're going under renovation and construction on the the, uh, mall there. But uh, they serve great breakfast and lunch. I encourage you to stop by Lulabee's Diner. In fact, I meet Andy there all the time. Andy, again, thank you so much for joining us.
4: Yeah, it
3: is my home away from home, Bob. <laughs> yeah,
1: Andy. So uh, let's talk a little bit. About, did you watch uh, Monday Night Football at all?
3: Oh, that's an interesting question, Bob. Um, I've been a giant fan, New York giant fan. Uh, my first game was uh, with my father at the Polo Grounds in 1952, 68 years ago. And, wow. Uh, that team had names on it that to me are like, uh, these are the immortals. Charlie Connolly, Frank Gifford, uh, Tom Landry, Kyle Rowe, Emlyn Tennell. Uh, so my relationship with my father had many aspects, but perhaps one of the strongest was was our common support of the New York Giants. That extended into uh, my relationship with my son, the New York Giants. That was our conversation. Monday night was the first Giant game in in memory that I voluntarily did not watch. I was not going to lend my uh, my limited support to what is going on out there. The, certainly, uh, the, the basic premise is that they're appealing for social justice and racial justice. But underlying all of this, of course, is this support support for Black Lives Matter, and uh, as, a, as an extension, critical race theory. Critical race theory, Bob, makes me and you and people like me and you the enemy. Right. Uh, we are the cause of their problem. If we look at the statement by the uh, the president of uh, Greater New York Black Lives Matter, uh, he said that if the movement fails to achieve meaningful change uh, during nationwide protests. It will burn down this system. So here we have, and by the way, this is a national corporation, Black Lives Matter. This is not some uh, some uh, random group of people who happen to get together on occasion. This is a well-funded, Act Blue-funded organization, great depth, great funding, uh, great coordination. And here we have the leader of the New York chapter, who is in fact. Saying he will burn down the system, right. uh, I refuse to be a participant in that. Where uh, that is what they're advocating, not peaceful change. And uh, by the way, uh, it, meaningful change—you can't have meaningful change in a system where change is not even necessary. Right. Uh, so it sets up a premise that is impossible to fulfill because there is no essential problem to start with. So um, I, I, I did not watch it. Um, so it's 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 a loss of my life. I know for well. listeners, it may not seem significant. But to me and my family, it's a significant change in our in our uh, relationship. You
1: know what? Uh, you're not alone. Uh, I'm a baseball fan. I'm a uh, basketball, professional basketball fan. I'm not watching these sports because primarily for the same reason. I just feel like they're there to provide. They're the best in the world at what they do. They should stay in their lane, do their job, entertain us. You know, we all have problems. And uh, part of the distraction from our everyday life and our problems is to be able to watch professional sports. And now they're ruining it. Quite frankly,
3: you know. And and there is something else. I mean, it is entertainment, but there's also a a, an appreciation of the excellence, the commitment, the motivation, the intensity. All of these positive attributes that that you can draw from this, but instead of of uh, drawing those attributes out, we're looking at a bunch of grown men who are, in most cases, totally misinformed, uninformed, right. uh, advocating for something that is is destructive to America, and in fact, as I pointed out, makes me as a white male the enemy,
1: of Right, exactly. So you know, I, I really appreciated your column. I'm changing the topics here a little bit, but the difference between philosophic and political. Uh, conservatives thought it was such uh, such an interesting uh, column maybe you could tell us about it
3: well if uh, as you read that you you uh, must you understood I know that I was trying to point out how we conservatives are different and I started out with a premise that the People on the left are absolutely the same. They only have one brain among them. I, I, I describe them being similar to a giant fungus that lies on the floor of a, of a forest covering forty acres. Uh, but it's not a it's not a thinking thing. It has one particular mindset. Same thing with the carpenter answers I pointed out. But we're different. So I was primarily bringing up the difference between philosophic and political conservatives to highlight that we are different. In my mind, I am a philosophic conservative. I always, and in every situation, will support the position for uh, the least government possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't care whether my position can be accomplished with some degree of illegality or some corruption of the system. Uh, I don't want ever to be a large government advocate. I find that in many cases the, uh, those that I would describe as political conservatives are, in fact, in most many cases at least, advocating for good ends. Uh, But again, they are doing so in a manner that I think is uh, uh, challenging to the very intent of our Constitution and the way this country should work, Bob.
1: Absolutely. And uh, I appreciate that point because it leads to some important differences in points of view and and, and outcomes, for example, around everything from, for example, uh, for uh, the death penalty to just a number of issues.
3: Well, that's the one I highlight. I, I left out uh, the other one, which I had also earlier had written about, and that's abortion. I'm I'm against abortion, and I think it's a it's a it's a horribly immoral act to perform. Uh, but on the other hand, do I think that government has the right and the the appropriate uh, wisdom uh, to deny a woman the full nine months of her gestation period? I, I just can't see that as being something a a conservative would advocate. Uh, we don't believe government can give us a parking ticket without serious challenge. And here we are of the mindset, in some cases, that government is wise enough, dignified enough, appropriate enough to suppress even the first trimester of a woman's uh, gestation period. I, I just, I'm against abortion, but I think that is a, that is not a conservative position. Certainly it's not a philosophic philosophically conservative
1: position. Right, absolutely. So just changing topics again slightly, but uh, this Netflix show, uh, we've seen the stock plummet. Uh, This uh, really (laughs) promoted pedophilia. uh, I've not seen the show, but I've seen trailers. It's pretty shocking.
3: Well the Netflix has uh, put out a, uh, a show that is being widely excoriated that's the the Cutie show, which they define as trying to expose the uh, the dangers in child pornography and of course they they do so in a manner that is pornographic children's uh, exposure uh, so if you if you see this, even the the primary trailer on this is is revolting it takes prepubescent girls and uh... puts them into postures and movements that are that are blatantly sexual so uh, i have a difficult time advocating anything on netflix but in this case uh... having watched their their shows social dilemma uh, i think it is worth watching for several reasons the first and the most obvious is it's uh... the the input from it comes from the uh, some of the major players in the silicon valley high-tech world And and their basic premise, and I know this is something that most of your listeners are aware of, but the manipulation of the American mind and eventually the prediction of the destination of the the choices made by Americans with their algorithms is so precise that that is where they make their money, Bob. They make their money by selling you as the product through the the, uh, collection and then distribution uh, to other people who want it. The information about your choices, and it's an s- extremely sophisticated process. Huh. The other point I would like to make about this, and I, I, I know you want to get in and comment, uh, is that the uh, people from Silicon Valley who were authoring this somewhat of a, a, a challenge to what's going on in Silicon Valley were also corrupted by the same mechanisms that they were lamenting without them even knowing about it. What that highlights to me is the corruption can be so insidious. And so subtle in hmm. terms of how it affects your mindset that you're not even aware that it's happening, Bob.
1: Yeah, well, thank you for those comments. I, I don't. Before I let you do, I, I let you go. I do want to get your comments on the Mideast peace deals that uh, President Trump has accomplished. It's just tremendous, wonderful ceremony yesterday of the signing of this thing. But uh, can you believe what he's accomplished?
3: Um, actually, no. I, I would have thought it was impossible. I, I think we have a uh... the the arab countries not not the, the middle east per se this does not include uh... turkey this does not include uh... iran for example that are not arab countries but the arab countries are beginning to realize that uh... they have to stop this support of the palestinians and i think they're uh... actively and aggressively doing that they recognize that uh... their support of the palestinians has taken uh... the middle east the arab world nowhere I think they're recognizing that they can't align themselves with Hamas and Hezbollah. Uh, and I think what you're seeing here is a is a remarkable moment, uh, and I, I like to think of myself as, as priescent. This was one that I could not have in any way uh, believed possible. Uh, and it's it's amazing how the, the left, Nancy Pelosi, said that this was merely a distraction yeah. uh, away from COVID-19. Uh, if this had been done under the Obama administration, there would be headlines Certainly uh, Obama would get the Nobel Peace Prize. this is one of the great moments uh, certainly uh, in in world history perhaps and I think it should be acknowledged at that level
1: Bob absolutely and I do think it will lead to peace uh, in uh, with the Palestinians. And I think this is, it's going to lead to so much more productivity, so much more, I mean, so many good things that can come out of this. If you can imagine uh, these great minds that are available in each country now being, instead of being uh, isolated, to be able to share in with the technology and the ability to produce and grow uh, with Israel will be amazing.
3: I think it will. There's no doubt that the, the, you know, the, the, the Jewish people are Semites, the Arab people are Semites. There's absolutely no reason. Uh, that all of this area, uh, in a coordinated fashion, perhaps with Israel as the uh, as the uh, leader of this in terms of uh, the business activity, uh, I think this this whole area can explode with productivity and improve the quality of life for for its citizens and minimize the potentials of of terrorism in the future. This is a a remarkable moment in world history.
1: Absolutely. Well, Andy, again, congratulations to you on your award next week. Glenda and I will be there to celebrate and to acknowledge you for what you've accomplished. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you, Bob. Talk we'll to you next week. All right. And by the way, I posted uh, a couple of Andy's columns on my website. You can go to BobHard.com and just check out Correct Me If I'm Wrong. You see a number of uh, Andy's uh, columns there. In fact, his latest, uh, too. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston of Space Architecture. He's also the author of several books. His latest, How Everything Happened, Including Us, that and more right here on The Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs>
4: With all the threats to faith, family, and freedom, Christian Television Network, the Faith Center Fort Myers, and Florida Pastors Network invite you to Healing Our Nation, Tuesday, September 22nd at 7 o'clock p.m. for a free panel discussion on engaging and impacting culture with a biblical worldview. Distinguished National Guest Bishop E.W. Jackson, founder of Stand Foundation, staying true to America's national destiny. John Stenberger, founder of Florida Family Policy Council and called to vote. Along with historian and best-selling author, Dr. William Federer, want to equip you to effectively respond to the moral and social issues impacting our community. Join us live on television September 22nd at 7 o'clock p.m. on CTN Southwest Florida or live streaming at ctntelevision.com or in person at the Faith Center. Details, ctntelevision.com. That's ctntelevision.com. Or call 239-543-7200.
0: Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York style theater at its very best. And you can find out more by visiting the website Gulf Shore Playhouse. We have with us Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University in Houston in space architecture. He's also the author of several books. His latest I just finished this weekend. It is absolutely terrific. It's called How Everything Happened, Including Us. Professor, thank you so much for joining us.
5: Well, Bob, thanks for having me on again.
1: Always a pleasure, Professor. I do just want to congratulate you on a, a great read. I don't know what I expected, but what I got in terms of going through the book was a... A, a really, a much better understanding of why things happen in our on in our globe, and but also appreciation for the uh, velocity of change that we've seen in the last two hundred years.
5: Oh, it's it's absolutely amazing. Uh, you know, in the beginning of the book, as you know it, I had some some charts. You know, that, you know what what were the events that happened in the first billions of years, and then hundreds of millions, and millions, and hundreds of thousands, et cetera, down to down to decades and down to years now. And uh of course one of the one of the challenges in writing a book like this is you say, well what are the big events? Because there's an infinite number of events that have occurred, but then you and then what are the and what are the global events, the ones that really change the the planet. And not just from a Western society standpoint and so on. And, but you know, you see how how events accelerate and yeah. it's just Staggering, you know, and even in the human sphere, where we we think of, uh, you know, going from the domesticating cattle and dogs and wolves and that kind of stuff, and uh, the hunter gatherers moving to agriculture, and then eventually to the, you know, to the industrial revolution, and so on. But the industrial revolution, even though it happened rapidly, in in a cosmic view. uh, was rather linear and and long compared to the information revolution. Yeah, with a- AI and the internet, and and that's exponential, you know. And we've you know, we're creating now computers that can, in many regards, outthink us. And uh, can we even keep up with the inventions we're creating? And it's it's just it's just uh, a very humbling experience to try to to write a book like this.
1: Yeah. And, uh, well, I can it's only imagine. I, I I would like to to add though i I read sapiens uh, which is uh, has a, a similar uh, uh, attempt at uh, covering what's happened with the globe and left me depressed <laughs> but how everything happened, including us at least some questions about AI and artificial intelligence where this may lead us, but it's also hopeful. I mean, I just I really appreciated your point of view on that well,
5: I like Harari's writing and, and sapiens was was an I think an interesting book and and i wasn't i wasn't trying to mimic it because you know history has its own story to tell right but i thought i guess you know my take on it was that oh we humans bad you know we 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 sapiens uh you know uh beat out the you know the the, the friendly neanderthals and the hunter gatherers and so on and just you know, we're you know it's I, I didn't want to write a judgmental book, you know, because history, history is what it is, you know, it happened. Right. And uh, there's no point in, 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 to me, uh, really judging it, I mean, who am I to judge history, even though there's lots of it that was pretty bloody and pretty horrible. And, uh, and, you know, we survived, you know, there were five mass extinctions that we know of. And, and were it not for them, we wouldn't be here because they eliminated a lot of our competition. So, I mean, it's, history is, a, is, as they say, a mixed bag. And, uh, and and writing a book to me was was really quite an adventure to try to to learn not to prophesy or to... Yeah, to judge.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing your learning with us. I think it's just a great read, How Everything Happened, Including Us, by Larry Bell. Professor, before I let you go, I do want to uh, talk about your column, Bad Enviro Politics Destroying California. Right now we're seeing the Democrats actually pivot away from COVID-19 to uh, climate change. <laughs> they do it on a dime, but your, your your column is so appropriate. Maybe you could tell us about it.
5: You know, of course, it's it's absolutely tragic, just you know, to see what what's happening to those people who live in Oregon and Washington and yes. California. And you know, it's just these are devastating events, and they happen almost every year. And, and of course, more and more people are moving, you know, to, to forested areas. And uh, but one of the big culprits is, you know, the, a lot of it is really. Put some of the uh, blame on on the on the environmentalists, perhaps a lot, because they they prevented the, the you know the timber industries and so on from managing the forests. And mm-hmm. this, so it's not just it's there's a lot of uh, blame to to pass on to California legislation in this regard. But it's but most of the forest areas are owned by the by the federal government, mm-hmm. and so there's been very very poor forest management and tremendous amount of environmental pressure not to 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 really affect the forest. But meanwhile we've got all this, you know, dry shrubs and so on that have been piling up and you know, dead trees and so on and it's it's, it's just a uh, uh you know a disaster waiting to happen and uh and so to to put this on you know this craziness on global warming is just nonsense. Yeah. It's absolutely irresponsible, but but everybody's got to find a scapegoat, and and I think the scapegoat is is, is us. You know, we we allow this uh, environmental nonsense. Environmental is a nice word, but it's been weaponized to justify all kinds of really stupid stuff.
1: Absolutely. Just uh, to to underscore what you said, we lived in California for ten years, and at the time. They had controlled burns they would go through and uh, clean out those shrubs and clean out those the, the dead timber and what you're talking about. And what that did is it prevented the forest fires that we're seeing right now. They're not doing that anymore, as you mentioned, because of what the conservationists are requiring and the, the legislation that's passed. And the consequences is out-of-control fires. It's just unbelievable.
5: And, of course, now everything is political, so everything's about the elections. So yeah, it's got to be global warming and it's, you know— and, uh, of course, uh, Trump lit the match, and so there's, <laughs> yeah. it's, uh, it's really a shame to, uh, to have such distraction over such an important issue.
1: It certainly is, and I don't know if you saw Trump, actually, in California at a roundtable there, but uh, one of the comments was, the reason for these fires is climate change is talking to the governor, and he said, just you got to listen to the scientists, and <laughs> President Trump said, I don't think they know. <laughs> <laughs> it
5: was well, I it's mean, clear evidence they don't because uh, this climate, You know, I wrote a couple of books on on this uh, climate alarmism, and uh, so I, you know, I, I think I know quite a lot about the science and uh, yeah. to the extent that it exists, and uh, it's been politicized.
1: It certainly has. Again, Professor Larry Bell. Larry Bell's book, his latest book, is "How Everything Happened, Including Us." Great read. I encourage you to get a copy. Professor, always appreciate your commentary here in the show. Thank you so much for joining us.
5: Bob, it's always a pleasure to be on.
1: Thank you so much. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I uh, always appreciate your feedback. You can uh, send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. And if you'd like a copy of the newsletter I send out, you can subscribe. Just let me know at, at com. I hope you join us tomorrow. We're going to visit with Pastor Rick Stevens. He's a co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. They're doing great work with regard to education, public education here in Florida. We'll visit with Michael Cannon. He is the Director of Healthcare Studies at the Cato Institute. We'll visit with Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. Always have interesting visits with uh, Seton. And the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. Mayor Bill will be with us as well. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste.